Hello and welcome back to the Y Comics Podcast. I am your host, Jesse, and with me today is uh, a wonderful voice actor and host of the After School Anime Club podcast. Uh, it's Max Newland. Hi, that's me. I'm Max Newland. And yes, you're right. I Thank you for saying a wonderful voice actor. I haven't really gotten a lot of gigs yet. I'm pretty new at that. I, I think the first thing that, um, before After School Anime that I started noticing you posting was just you voiceovering memes, and it was always, like, God. the perfect tone that you were using That is for so this. hard. So, like, like, the hardest thing about that is, like, okay, so I know there's guys out there, like, you've got, I don't want to, I don't super want to name names, but, you know, you've got your Gianni Matrangos and your, and your Sung Wan Cho's and what all who do that kind of thing, and it's, look, it's so fun is the, yeah. is the impetus, right? Like, it's really fun to actually just publish something stupid that's like extremely low effort really <laughs> um, yeah and i'm sure like it I, i'm not saying what they do is low effort posting but like it it is kind of fun to just be like oh this uh this uh the share zone post would sound really funny if i ran it through voice mod you know what i mean yeah there's a there's a specific tiktok account that i followed mostly because they were just voice acting tumblr posts oh that's so good now see like the Weirdly, that has become it's so for those of you who aren't in voiceover, it's it's quite difficult to get ahead in the voiceover uh, community as a voice actor. Um, it's just tough. You have to do a lot of work. You have to do a lot of work consistently. Um, some people, you know, such as the two names I've already dropped, have found that there is a kind of back door to the voice industry, which is get a big following on YouTube. Or get yeah. a big following yeah. on Twitter and like be known as the guy who does voices, and then you know, eventually you can you can finagle that. I'm sure there's a lot of behind the scenes work as well that goes into that, but like, it's it's kind of funny that now there are these two tracks where either you're like auditioning your ass off on, you know, casting call club, to do like somebody's Five Nights at Freddy's Minecraft role play, uh, or you're you know just recording every meme you can find. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about anime in this episode, and I follow a lot of anime YouTubers, and there's a lot of them that are like, I just started doing, I knew I could do this dub voice of one of these characters, so I just started doing those prank God, calls, yes. and like, that's how they got their following on YouTube, and then they just became an anime YouTuber just in general, but like, voice acting is such a weird thing, because you can go, sh like, you can bust through with memes and go into straight up voice acting on shows, yeah. or you could become a very famous streamer because you decided to prank call someone yeah. with some voice acting. Um, Jesse, I know this is a comics based podcast. Is this is do, do anime and manga come up a lot on this show? Um, not as much as I would like okay. it to, because I am a big nerd in that, but I would say we have out of the 80 episodes that we've done so far, we have about a dozen probably anime manga okay. episodes, right. mostly manga based. Very rarely do we dive straight into just anime. Uh, sure. But we do talk about adaptations. So far this season, we have this will be the second anime manga episode okay. of the season. Well, um, I'm going to try. Yeah. My main exposure to the subject of today's episode is, is from anime. I didn't really read Dragon Ball growing up. Um, I, I got I was a Shonen Jump kid and Dragon Ball was in there, but I'm pretty sure they were like pretty far beyond the characters that we're going to talk about today when when Jump was publishing in the United States and I was reading it anyway. In yeah. like 2002, you know? Yeah, usually what I ask people when I have them on as the first guest, and for people who don't know about this season of the show, we're doing a new format where we specifically talk about kind of one subject. We've been a little loose on the subject, but still kind of one subject. And that subject for this season is villain schemes. 
Um, that's kind of what I want to talk about because I think it's a fun idea. Oh, yeah. And for Max, though, like, la- so last episode, for people who heard this, it will come out third. Um, I had Marn on, and we talked about Venture Brothers. Nothing to do with comics except that it's a parody of comics for most it's part. It's like a tone-perfect, like, the most perfect parody of comics anyone's ever done, basically. Yeah, ex- exactly. So, like, when I, when I want things like comic-adjacent stuff, I'm always, like, let's just push the boundaries of what comics are because so many things are influenced by it and things like that. Totally. So when I first uh, asked Max, come on, Max, like, Hey dude, <laughs> I don't read comics. Yeah. I don't yep. know. What, I don't know. Anything. I'm the guy who's like listening to Riley and all the other moonshot folks do like really extensive DC character role play in, in, uh, in episodes of like interstitial and Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends. Like, Oh cool. Then all right. I'm <laughs> just going completely. Yeah. Out of my head. And I'm like, that's uh, fine, Max. Like, uh, we'll get you on the movie podcast. We'll talk about an anime movie or something down the road. And then Max out blue goes, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Ginyu Force. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about the Ginyu, Ginyu Force, Force rules. I, Ginyu Force rules. I, I think Dragon Ball Z might have been the first anime I ever watched. It's a lot of probably, a lot of people's oh, first yeah. anime that oh, they ever yeah. watched. And it's definitely one of the first manga I ever read because of the library. Um so oh, shit, my, your library so had since, Dragon Ball Z had Dragon Ball? Yeah, it had really beat up Dude, copies. I have one awesome. of the, I bought one of the beat up copies from my library. Oh yeah. Uh, it's like the only Dragon Ball volume I own. It back when like Jump was published in like a taller format. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Now they're all kind of like like half half size fatter. No man, volumes, my but like, I remember reading Jump, it was like the size of my textbooks in middle school. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the 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 full like anthology jump is like I have a I have a bucket of those in my garage where uh, my uh, my school would used to have I mean most schools have Scholastic Days right like they <laughs> they would be there yeah and they would sell Jump there they when it oh, was published great. over here and that's how I found a few of them and then I would go um, I found like my dad would take me to garage sales like every weekend for a while and we would find old Jump there and then I would realize oh they sold this at Walmart <laughs> I could pick it up at Walmart <laughs> so I started picking up at Walmart because it was like ten bucks. Uh, I miss Physical Jump. I would I would subscribe to Physical Jump if they still published it in the U.S. Physical media is great. Yeah, I, I agree. So since uh, we're not really talking about comics, but we're talking about anime, Max, Where, what is your anime history? Where did it start mm. for Max New? Yeah, so I think the very first time I saw something that was anime was when I was in probably elementary school still. Um, before school, there was this show that was on American TV called Samurai Pizza Cats which was a gag anime that when it got bought by American production companies, pardon me, the Japanese company that made it said to the Americans, look, we really don't care what you do. We just would like you to create something that American kids will like. So like when they, when they were, when they drafted the script, they were given full license to do literally whatever they wanted with it. Um, And so it was just like kind of a silly, goofy, like, very Looney Tunes feeling kind of show um, that relied a lot on visual gags and like describing the visual gag that's happening. Um, but it was, it was fun. It was interesting. It had a kind of energy that like I, I knew was different than American cartoons. Um, and then Toonami hit in 2000 in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got introduced to all at the same time, uh, Tenshi Muyo, Outlaw Star, Dragon Ball Z, um, Robotech, which was the uh, combination, was just two anime, two distinct separate anime that got, you know, fused together into one TV show. They were doing some really weird stuff. Um, a lot of it being, a lot of this weird stuff being done by Saban Entertainment, which is going to be relevant yeah, yeah. again 
as we talk about the Ginyu Force, because like Saban was was the big entertainment company that was getting really, really invested in Eastern entertainment, um, in, in localizing Eastern entertainment. Obviously, they're the people behind Power Rangers in America, and they are. And this is something I recently learned. So you know how there were two dubs of Dragon Ball that got really popular in the United States? Or at least there was the dub that got popular and then Funimation took over? Yeah, there's the Ocean dub and yes. then there's... I think a lot... I've, I mean, looking back at it, I think a lot of the early Dragon Ball movies that aired on Toonami were probably the Ocean dub. They were. Yes, that's exact. That's correct. Yeah. Um, the, the That is... When you're listening to Dragon Ball in, like, pre-2003, you're listening to... You know, uh, Ian James Corlett's Goku. You're listening to Brian Drummond's Vegeta and, um, oh, fuck. What's that guy's name? The dude who plays uh, Piccolo, did you know, was was also Duo Maxwell in the English dub of Gundam Wing? By the way, did you know that, <laughs> that Gundam Wing was dubbed by Ocean Group, just like Dragon Ball Z was? Is that the only Gundam Wing dub is the Ocean dub? I'm almost certain. Um, I think they, oh, they wow. I, th- I'm, I did not know that. I believe, do not quote me on this, I'm not sure about it, I believe Funimation did Endless Waltz. Um, and they, they, they hired a lot of those Ocean Group actors. But anyway, the reason I bring this up is because Ocean Group was the, was the dubbing company that was contracted by Saban to dub Dragon Ball Z. So Saban had their hands not only in Power Rangers and like live action tokusatsu stuff, but they were also... Um, leading the charge alongside companies like Deke on bringing anime to America in the um, late 90s and early 2000s. Deke is one of those uh, ending po- like postcards that you are just like burned into mm-hmm. your TV screen of a brain. Yeah, you just see that on everything. And yeah, because yeah, there were like a lot, these companies were kind of ubiquitous. Like they did their one thing and they just did it over and over and over and over again. Uh, my, my thing is, is, uh, again another reason why i love after school anime is like that is just that's where my anime knowledge comes oh, from. Yeah. it's like it was toonami it was uh four kids which i love like learning now as an adult four kids is like i'll buy your entire stock of anime yeah and then they just didn't know what they were getting and that's why there's so many wild changes for shows that they just would never have bought it's if they knew what it was probably. so fucking funny to me that that company was the first licensor to obtain the One Piece rights in the yeah. United States, and, and the Shaman King. I like, mean, right? Like, what a what, a, what an anime! Hell right? of a thing to do as like if, if you're if you're really just thinking of this as a financial investment. Like, this is a very strange choice to make. Um, um, and then I also watched a lot of anime on. Uh, Gosh, what was it? WB Kids, which oh, yeah. I guess is just the same thing as Cartoon Network. So, well, no, that was um, I believe they had a deal with Four Kids because almost all the anime on WB Kids was Four Kids produced. I'm almost certain. Oh, that. okay. Was that the same thing? With, was Pokemon Four Kids produced? Because that's like where I watch Pokemon. Yeah, I believe Pokemon WB. started with Four Kids and then Funimation took over, similar to Dragon Ball Z. I don't, I, I don't know exactly where Funimation becomes like the big dub company in America, but somewhere along the lines in that like middle to late 2000s period they become pretty much the only people that are dubbing anime on that scale in the united states that's it's it's quite uh a feat i'm saying but yeah well you like going uh going with tenchi like on the like the first episode of uh after school anime i'm like oh oh someone watched this too as a kid and they probably shouldn't have. yeah man i mean well tenchi is just tenchi is just a i don't 
I don't. I still don't really know how to talk about it, even though I've done three episodes of podcast about Tenchi. It's so special to me, and so like, I I really do think it's very unique as a cultural product, and I think that it's one of those things that like really defies expectations and defies um, classification because yeah, it's doesn't feel quite right to call it a harem anime. It doesn't feel quite right to call it a slice of life anime. Um, it, it doesn't feel quite right to call it an isekai. It's because it's not an isekai. It was before... It, we didn't have these terms in the United States. We didn't have harem anime. We didn't yeah. know what a harem... If you, if you said to me harem anime, I'd be like, what are you talking about? You know, in 2000. Um, and that's not just because I was 10. It's, it's because, like, American fandoms had not been oriented around this form long enough to develop those kinds of vocabularies. It's one of those things, too, like, if you look at... Uh, pre-Cell Saga Dragon Ball Z, which is, like, around the time that Tenchi was airing, and, like, Gundam Wing and things like that of the sort, none of these things fit into the molds like we put them in now. Like, That's so I, when true. When we watch early Dragon Ball up to the Cell Saga, because Cell's when it really starts feeling like a shonen show, because um, it's a tournament <laughs> arc. Like, yeah, that's dude. worth the that's, tournament. See, like, that's worth... This, is my, uh, uh, this is my evil Dragon Ball take, which is, as soon as everything becomes a tournament, it becomes twist my own head off boring like i cannot yeah i think cell saga is the last like fascinating uh when it comes to like character development saga yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's because it's so loosely around the tournament but then majin buu is like strictly the tournament. majin buu is a tournament that becomes a different tournament that becomes i don't know it it loses its way terribly um and, yeah. and i think that you can um, feel Akira Toriyama kind of wanting to be done with it. Yeah, it, to- it totally feels like he was done with Cell at the Cell Saga, and they're like, "Just one, give us one more. Just, we need one more man." I'm. And I tend it, to be. Yeah. I tend to bristle when people like say things like the old stuff is better, or like frame media discussion around the idea that like new is always bad. Um, th- the one place where I'm not afraid to to say it with my full heart though is that I think the first, the beginning through. The conclusion of the Frieza saga is probably the best material in Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, um, totally. That's where like these characters feel like the most the most themselves, and then everybody starts kind of losing their flavor that f- after that in some ways. That fight between Goku and Vegeta, that first fight between Goku and Vegeta, is still in to me one of the best fights in the whole series, um, and it is like such a. It feels like you could end the show on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because not only because it, it has the like the dynamic between the two that feels honed to perfection that would become the seed of so many character relationships down the line as far as anime goes. Um, but then they like they defied my expectations by transitioning the show into like, OK, Goku is dead again. Basically, he's not really dead, but he's basically dead. Um, and now it's going to be this really the show is not really going to be about fighting for a little while it's going to be about this very tense game of cat and mouse in a in a almost absurdly isolated position when they go to namek yeah um which of course like we didn't even know aliens if you were a, a dragon ball reader in the early 90s when this was being published you probably didn't even know oh, hold on a second aliens are on the table right now we're going to we're, we can we can go to other planets in this yeah, it's it's one of those things where the Frieza saga, to, and, and maybe maybe this is just like people who watch it now for the first time might not feel this way because they know so much or 
just because it doesn't read that way anymore because anime is so anime now. <laughs> it's not, again, I'm sounding like a really old weeb, but uh, the Frieza saga is the last time those fights feel like desperate grabs for success. I agree with that. Yeah, they they never feel the tension is never that high, even when we're dealing with Majin Buu, who's literally going to use an attack that will kill every human being on planet Earth. Yeah. Like, it still somehow does not have the tension of Go, Go, Krillin and Gohan have to forge an alliance with the guy who almost killed them. And Yeah, or, uh, yeah. spoilers for Frieza Saga, like, even at the end, it's like, the planet's exploding, you don't know how you're gonna get home. The, yeah, this ship was made by an alien. You yeah. can't read those like, buttons. Yeah, Goku, you're dumb. You're a big dummy. <laughs> but, like, a lovable big dummy. Well, Super Saiyan Goku home. gets an intelligence bonus, it seems. I don't know what's up with that. Yeah. Uh, I think early Goku just has an intelligence bonus that later Goku just doesn't have anymore for some reason. Well, I mean, it's because it becomes a, it becomes a straight shonen and like yeah. he's just he turns into Bugs Bunny, um, like all shonen. As much as all shonen characters, like ninety percent of them are <laughs> one brain cell boys. Um, it, it's one of those things too. Like Cell, I think gets like a gets really good moments. I think the before Perfect Cell comes onto the picture, there's that fight with second form Cell with Krillin and eighteen and. Um, Vegeta and Trunks, like that fight, where things feel like, oh, this is going south real quickly yeah. out of nowhere mm-hmm, when you mm-hmm. thought they might have it. I, I think it's when Dragon Ball starts breaking its own rules is really where it starts falling apart, and that's after that's really after Cell Foley, but it starts doing that yeah. after the Frieza Saga. To me, the point of interest where it starts to drop off specifically is when Perfect Cell arrives, um, yeah. and the two and seventeen that. and eighteen are out of the picture. I thought seventeen and eighteen were so interesting. Um, as, as villains and just simply as like character types, I really enjoy what Dragon Ball does with androids. Yeah, but I don't know, man. Once, like like we said earlier, once it becomes all about tournaments, it really loses me. Um, and that's the thing that I really don't like about Super is that it's like all tournaments. I mean, there there yeah. there was there's like the Future Trunks saga. There's some stuff in there that's not tournaments, but. It's just tournament, tournament, tournament. And when it, it, at a certain point when the stakes are are big enough, they kind of start to feel small again. You know what I mean? Like when we're dealing with like multiple alternate universes in a battle to see whether the universe continues, it's just like, I don't care anymore. Like <laughs> it, it doesn't, I can't conceptualize it anymore, you know? Yeah, there's definitely moments in Super that, I like when it's 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 so weird because I love I love Goku and Vegeta so much, uh, and Vegeta gets a lot of interesting character development in Super that I think I wish there was better narrative around for the most part. But there's moments where it's just Goku and Vegeta, and they're they're like I, I just I want us to be <laughs> I want us to fight more. Yeah. But we have this common enemy right now, like the Future Trunk Saga, or there's um there's that one that's kind of related to Boo with the the guy that has the the Ram's head. I don't remember his name. Um, I think that saga is a lot of fun, but the one after that, it's the very, it's the exact same saga. It's, it's cloned and it's frustrating because it's like, okay, like we just did this one. <laughs> it's uh, and, and what I really hate the most about later Dragon Ball Z and then super is just the regression of characters. Totally. Like the, the stuff with Gohan, like that's the reason people love superheroes so much is Gohan got to do something. Even if it is stupid and silly, it was him being able to do something again. And, it's interesting that Cell ends with like Gohan being the future, and then who <laughs> happens? Yeah. Like, no, no, your dad's back. Yeah, we we didn't have any. <laughs> Toriyama's like, I didn't really have any ideas for that. <laughs> yeah, 
and I think what's frustrating the most about the beginning of the Cell arc is the way to take Goku out of the fight for a while is to give him a heart attack. And I think that's kind of silly. Well, you know, you've written yourself into a terrible corner where your main guy, and this is the formula, this would, again, go on to be, like, such a huge influence in Shonen in general. Like, every One Piece fight is killing time until Luffy shows up. And I haven't seen One Piece past the Shibandi Archipelago arc, which is, (laughs) I'm, I'm way behind. But, like, it's hard for me to imagine it changing because... It just is, it do be like that. You know, he's just the guy. Yeah. You know? It, yeah, it, it's really interesting with One Piece, and I don't know why, fully, why One Piece works as well as it does for me. I think it's just, like, the companionship of the crew in One Piece is much stronger than the Z Fighters. The emotionality of the uh, of One Piece, I think One Piece is a much more emotionally mature story than Dragon Ball, even though it is, like, yeah. visually the, much more cartoony and much more, like, rubbery like Popeye than Dragon Ball. Um, it's It still has, it has more, I would say, immediate and pressing and salient ideas about society and, mm-hmm. and, and how we should organize society. Dragon Ball has some opinions about society. Um, like, it certainly doesn't like Frieza. And yeah. Frieza's a type of guy who exists in the real world. And, sa- and Dragon Ball says, isn't this guy terrible? But then, like, there's nothing really... Like, Frieza becomes our buddy later, you know? Like, this is the thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is the, like, as we get distance from a villain in Dragon Ball, they get sillier and sillier and sillier. So characters that were once terrifying become jokes. Um, Yeah, totally. And Um, and I think the reason I like the Ginyu Force in particular is because they're both terrifying and a joke from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, We could jump into the Ginyu Force in just a second, but I think, yeah, you're right about one piece has a lot to say about and in, in weird ways like just classes and, oh yeah and the further you get into it even more like just straight capitalism type stuff where luffy is an ball anarchist just, hero it's really hard to read him any other way yeah and dragon ball is just completely anti-fascist but that's all they ever touch on yeah and it's also not very it's not super nuanced in dragon ball like we don't yeah we don't see <clears throat> in in one piece we are given a grand tour of the ways in which Eneru is, you know, abusing both his own people and the native people of Skypea, and the ways in which he's plundering that history for his own gain. We're given, like, incredible sweeping portrayals of how how people have been harmed by this guy. In Dragon Ball Z, it's just like, Frieza's the bad guy, he's the strongest in the world. Um, he killed your dad and he killed the other Saiyans, but... Like, yeah. you know, whatever. He's just he's just the strong guy that you need to kill. Yeah, I mean, there's no moment, there's no chapters or episodes in Dragon Ball Z where you just spend time with the world. Um, and and you're like, oh, here's Frieza. He's Hitler. Fight him. And then you get to, <laughs> oh, here's Cell. He's the aftermath of the Nazis. Finish him off. Like, that's really what those two arcs are. And then Majin Buu comes up and you're like, oh, oh this one's literally Satan incarnate. This one's a genie. Out. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. Like you fight the devil, and that's not even the worst guy in this arc. Uh, it's so funny. Um, so yeah, let's talk about the Ginyu, Ginyu Force. Ginyu Force. Uh, so if you let's, don't, let, let's hone in. If you don't know the Ginyu Force, here's the setup. Frieza is so. <laughs> um, I, you probably know this, Jesse. The listener may not know this. All of the bad guys in Dragon Ball are named after things you would find in a refrigerator. One of the brilliant naming schemes it, of any anime and of course the big bad guy who's in charge is named freezer because what's on top of the refrigerator the freezer yeah 
Um, and so Frieza is this big bad guy. He's space Hitler. He, you know, he's based on the, the financial worms that caused a gigantic housing crisis in Japan in the eighties. Um, and he has a bunch of soldiers and he also has these five guys that he calls in that are like his special mercenary group. And we are first introduced to them in the uh, 272nd chapter of Dragon Ball, the manga, the Ginyu Force, and in the 61st episode of the anime, Hidden Power. Um, basically, Frieza learns that the Dragon Balls are no longer, like there's other people on Namek looking for the Dragon Balls. And he's like, well, we're not going to yeah. have that. Um, and so he calls in the big guns immediately. Frieza does a very smart villain thing, which is he doesn't wait to call in the big guns. He, As soon as he hears there's a problem, he calls his guys that solve problems. And unbeknownst to the audience, the guys that solve problems, the guys that Vegeta is like shitting his pants over, like truly like believes they are fucked if the Ginyu Force arrives um, and, and tells everyone this. Like, I know I'm strong as hell, but these guys make me look like a baby basically is what he's telling Gohan and Krillin. Um, and then they arrive and they are a parody of tokusatsu. Like literally they do poses and they shout their names and they like have a theme song and like, it's very like silly on its face. Like you were supposed to laugh at these guys. Uh, and then the fight starts and you see them doing their silly bullshit. And Vegeta is still shaking. Like he is still yeah. completely fucked up that they are here certain that everyone is going to die has no idea how he's going to pull off a victory in this because also the other thing is that Gohan and Krillin still do not really factor into into the fighting combination yet like they are still they're strong they're way stronger than they were before but they're still nothing compared even to Vegeta who is also nothing compared to these guys um, and when I say they're doing silly shit they're like playing rock paper scissors to decide who gets to go do the killing first and arguing about whether they're going to go get ice cream or pizza after they're done killing these guys. Like that, that is the kind of, that's the level of rhetoric that the Ginyu force is bringing to the table. Um, and I mean, you know, you're getting like a real smart team when the first like fight is with Toriyama's famous character design, Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Let's talk about these guys. So like, they are all different types of alien. Um, I brought up, uh, um, I, I created a little document for myself. So, like, you know, I mentioned there, everybody's named after fridge items. The Ginyu Force yeah. are named after dairy. Ginyu just means dairy. Like, it's literally the dairy squad in Japanese. Um, and so you've got guys like Captain Ginyu who, are, who just have a Japanese name. But then you have the other members. Uh, Rakum, which is an anagram of Kirimu, which is cream. Uh there is Berter, who is Bata in Japan, which is, again, just the loan word for butter. I, you know, when I heard when you said Berter, I'm like, I bet you that's butter. I, like, I didn't even know like this was all cream-based. You didn't know this? I bet you that's butter. Oh, well, I'm no, so glad. I'm so glad I can bring this to you, because the next one up is Jace, who in Japan is known as Jisu. And that is just the loan word for cheese. And Goldo is my favorite. Um, his name in, in Japanese is Gurudo. Um, which if you add the, the syllable yo in front of that, you get yogurudo, which is yogurt. That's perfect. That's really perfect. And I love that Jace and uh, Burger are butter and cheese. Like the, <laughs> those are, that's why they're best friends. Yeah. And all of these guys are like color coded, basically. Like they're all funny technicolor aliens, uh, except for Raccoon, who just kind of looks like 
if Dolph Lundgren's head was a perfect rectangle. <laughs> I mean, he kind of like he, his head kind of looks like just a nice, like perfect version of Flan. Like, I mean, he's redheaded, but like if you just put Flan over Raccoon's head, you're like, I can see. I can it. see that. Like, I can see that. Um, and they all have kind of a unique personality. They all are they they are united in being goofy motherfuckers, but like each of them has a thing that they are like known for. And Captain Ginyu uh, is probably my favorite and most interesting uh, because he has the ability to swap bodies with somebody. Um, and the most interesting wrinkle I think that has probably ever been introduced for a Dragon Ball character is that at some point it was confirmed that the purple. The purple body with the like Brussels sprout head and the 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 sharp black horns, that's not his original body. He was not born. Which I into always that. wondered. And I, I never I never knew for sure. It has been confirmed that this is not his body. He was this is the strongest body he has been able to find so far. And as soon as he can find a stronger one, he will always opportunistically switch. Um and I think that says a lot about his character, like just that ability and the fact that we don't know what he looks like. I got to give a shout out. There was a SNES game called Super Seiya Densetsu where we learn a lot of backstory information. And I'm I'm pretty sure this is all non-canon, but it is it is really funny to think about. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to sh- I'm going to share with you the Super Seiya Densetsu facts we learn about the Ginyu Force. Oh, please do. So in so Captain Ginyu. Uh, apparently when he was a young boy the first time he used his body swap technique was to switch bodies with the richest boy in his class so that he could get more attention from girls okay this is all checking out so far um and in the illustration provided by super saiya densetsu unfortunately this was before they decided that the purple body was not his original body because that's a that's kind of a later later decision that becomes like retroactively canon it He's the only non-human looking child in the room in this illustration that Seiya Densetsu provides. It looks like just a regular school on Earth with the purple-headed, you know, broccoli man sitting in it. Uh, And something we also learn later on in the Dragon Ball franchise is that, do you know, are you familiar with the character Salsa? That sounds so familiar. Salsa is Cooler's guy. Like, he's the Captain Ginyu to... Oh, yeah, yeah, to, okay, to cooler, yeah. basically. Salsa knows Captain Ginyu, grew up with Jace and Ginyu on the home planet that they all three share. If you didn't know that, they're, they're all three from the same planet. And he knows and has seen Captain Ginyu's original body. And he is maybe one of the only people in the Dragon Ball universe who still knows Ginyu's original form, which I think is another interesting little secret. Because yeah. Salsa also doesn't really get to do anything in Dragon Ball. He just kind of shows up in the cooler movies which are questionably canon yeah again like this is like barely canon they have canonized like cooler has been brought into canon thanks to dragon ball super and the and broly i believe is where we see the the earliest timestamp of the ginyu force as they're transferred from king cold over to his son vegeta um but in addition to to ginyu so ginyu's like main billing is that he can do body change he's also the strongest he's like the strongest by a huge margin he's basically twice as strong as everybody else um, next guy down I have is Raccoon. Raccoon, probably, if you were my age and you were watching anime, Raccoon probably left the biggest impression on you um, because he's just very scary, I think. Yeah, he's a, he's a big, scary he's dude. He's a scary man. Like, he just, he, they change his characterization quite a lot when it makes the switch from Ocean Dub to Funimation. Like, in Ocean Dub, he has the mind of, like, 
a gang enforcer, like a tough brute muscle kind of guy, though not necessarily like a dipshit. Whereas in the Funimation dub, Chris Sabat's interpretation of the character is like, I'm a big dummy. I can't put sentences together kind of thing, which is an interesting, I mean, that's, I, I think that if you look at the character, it's like, yeah, that's the vibe you get. But I think the, the ocean dub interpretation is a little more interesting and a little scarier because he's like, he knows, he knows he's killing you. And he also knows like the first thing you see of Raccoon is that Vegeta powers up to absolute maximum, goes full whole hog on him, just salts the earth in, in his effort to put Raccoon down in one move and Raccoon gets up and he's like, wow, that was cool. And he's like, not hurt at all. Um, yeah. So Raccoon's whole thing is that he is like super, super, super hard to kill. He's not the strongest, but he has the most HP and he has that durability too. And that fight between. So like the, the order that they fight in is they send out Goldo first and he gets washed cause he's the, the baby of the group. And then Raccoon draws the next straw and I mean, he basically, he, there's a moment where he picks Vegeta up and plants him in the ground, just picks him up and puts him in the ground so that only his feet are visible. Um, and then he like literally kills Gohan in one, in one hit. Like he doesn't literally kill, like Gohan is able to come back with a senzu bean a few moments later, but he puts Gohan out of the fight with one move. Um, and if you, again, if you grew up in that time period, this was the end of what I refer to in in my head as the Raditz Raccoon loop. Um, because the, here's the thing. Ocean Dub lost, uh, or not, no, Saban lost the rights to continue producing Dragon Ball in America. And so they only dubbed up through Goku arriving on Namek and whipping Raccoon's ass with one move. Um, so, and it felt like this happened a million times, but I'm sure it only happened like two or three so there would be this moment where, like, finally the pressure is relieved. Goku arrives and Raccoon is about to kill Krillin and it looks like it's just going to be all over. And then he gets totally ruined by Goku in one in one hit. And then this whole show starts over because they didn't have rights to continue broadcasting it. And I know they only did that two or three times, but it felt like they did that for years and years and years and years. And it felt like every time I would watch that episode with Goku and I'd be like, all right, next time I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to know. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it, it didn't come true until much later. Oh, and V, here's the fact. Super Saiyan Densetsu, the revelation about Rakuma, uh, he started training as a child to be a dancer. I, I, I'm really enjoying all these extra facts that you are giving me. Because like, well, as much as I love Dragon Ball Z, I never dove deep into like what these characters' no, backgrounds are. Because they're just like, these characters here for the moment and then they're gone. Because yeah. that's always how they felt, but... Uh, it's adding so much more uh, worth to them. And it's funny because if you look at the, uh, I don't know, you know, our viewer may not be able to see this, but I'll post it in our Discord here. If you look at the pose that Raccoon strikes when he is, when he's like, well, I can't get it to work. If you look at the pose Raccoon strikes when he's like shouting his name and doing all that, it does indeed look like a yeah. ballet pose. Look it up Raccoon's pose right now. Yeah, I see it, yeah. He's also the only one that looks like a human. He just appears to be a, a very large white man. Yeah, he looks like he was, like, from Boston, honestly. Yeah, whereas all the rest of these guys look like weird mascots or something. Speaking of which, uh, I think we should move on to the next guy. Um, Rakuma has a big impact. Everyone knows Rakum. Children everywhere are terrified of Rakum. Jason Berter, you kind of have to talk about in Together because they get so little screen time that they barely matter as characters 
Yeah. Uh, Birder's whole thing is... So Birder is a big blue guy. And I think Birder's character design is really cool. And his whole... And Birder and Jace have always been my favorite out of the, the entire game. I like them a lot. Like, there seems there's something very cool going on with these two characters and their design. Uh, it's a shame they don't get to do more. Um, and, and they have a fun dynamic because J- Birder's whole thing is that he is the fastest being in the galaxy with an asterisk. Um, because obviously he's not faster than all the guys that are stronger than him, but <laughs> okay, sure, whatever. Um, and Jace is like, so Birder's thing is speed. Jace's thing is distractions. None of Jace's moves are designed to hit. They're all designed to, 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 to put, to force you into a defensive position. So someone else can exploit a weakness from a different direction. And so they have, yeah. they're like the one, two punch bash brothers. Jace has his move called the crusher ball that he shoots at you. You, you dodge that. And then birders on your other side, taking you down with his move, the blue hurricane. Um, but they never, we never see them get to successfully use it because by the time birders on the battlefield, Goku's here and he's wrecking shop like really, really easily. Uh, in the ocean dub, Ginyu mentions that birder is really good at basketball. <laughs> I don't really don't know why they do. I mean, he's the tallest. I, so sure. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I guess that makes sense. He looks like someone who like that would wear Nikes too. Like he he does look like that. They the the Dragon Ball people like all the characters of Dragon Ball are big in the street fashion world. I think it's probably just because Dragon Ball is is big in the same communities that street fashion is big in. But Birder, uh, I mean Birder is like the most visually striking design to me because not only is he big and blue, the blueness of his skin has texture to it. Like he has little they look like freckles all over his body. Or they could be scales or, you know, any number of things. Like, he just has some visual interest going on in his character. And he also has these cool, gnarly claws. And he has one of my favorite, like, villain archetype character voices that Dragon Ball gets a lot of play out of. Which is that he sounds like this. And I think that, that, that I feel like that voice, and this is where, like, voice acting, and you can attest to this probably a bit, where, like, you base your voice on what the character looks like, and he looks like kind yeah. of a reptilian, so you add that lisp to it a bit, and you kind of go with it. I mean, there's some times where they base it off just of the original uh, dub and try to match sure, that as sure, best yeah. they can, too. Um, Birder, though, I mean, he hisses, he spits, he does a lot of lizard stuff. I was always, weirdly, as a car- as a kid, I was always really into, like, aliens that don't have noses. Like, I always thought that was a cool design because it makes him look very non-human. Yeah. Um, and he also has, like, his head... How would you describe this? He has like an, like you know the way an alligator's stomach looks. That's his head. He has the he has the the Frieza armor on his head. Yeah, 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 yeah. It looks like the Frieza armor. It looks exactly yeah, like it the looks, tummy it, plate. It looks like the shoulder pads, but they just they like it's again. We're just head canning stuff now. It's just like he had head trauma, and they're like, well, this is your iron plate now that you we have to put in your head. Okay, well. I'm so glad you brought that up. Here's the Seika, here's the uh, Seiya Densetsu lore. Um, Birder's mom, when he was a child, made him do all the chores in the house. And the rule was he didn't get to have dinner if he was late. So he became the fastest being in the galaxy with an asterisk so that he could avoid that punishment from his mom. And the image they show is little tiny Birder with like the proportions of Chaozu carrying a bunch of groceries into the house. <laughs> it's really cute. Um, Jace, similar, uh, uh, dense, say a story. He was a pitcher as a kid. He played intergalactic little league. Is there any reason that Jace needs to be Australian? 
Now, here is the interesting thing. In the Ocean dub, he wasn't Australian. And I know you're saying, yes, he was Australian, because that's what I was saying, too, when I watched a video about the Ocean dub. Yeah. It's not an Australian accent. It's a Manchester accent, which to a young American kid oh, sounds like an Australian yeah. accent. I can. Yeah, I can see that now. So, but yes, you are correct in that in the Funimation dub, Chris Sabat chose to give him an Australian accent rather than the the Manchester accent that the the Ocean dub gave him. So, it, weird. Jason's always one of those ones. Um, my, I grew up a lot with uh, classic rock in the house, and I always when I ever saw Jason, I'm like that's just Bon Jovi. Like that's just yeah, man. I he's all, he's when I see Jason. he's got the hair metal hair something in, extremely fierce, and like in that video I shared with you, he even does like a little '80s hair metal flip with it. I like Jace a lot, and I also recall seeing a couple of frames that stuck with me. I don't know if I misinterpreted this or if this is just a sequence that's been cut, maybe for flashing lights or whatever. But I re feel like I remember a sequence as a kid where we see Jace shooting lasers at goat like you know doing the like repeated key blast thing yeah except he's using his foot as the barrel of the key blast cannon basically like he's shooting out of his feet instead of his hands i i you're well, you saying that i can imagine it so i feel like that's really i weird. feel like either that was really there or there was just a shot that was very very fast that as a kid i, I was like whoa he's shooting out of his feet that's cool just some like uh bleeding frames yeah uh, something that you may not know, um, because this is one of those things that Akira Toriyama just came up with and said, <laughs> you know, you know how Toriyama just kind of says things um, yeah. about characters way, way, way later. Like when we learned that 17 and 18 were named Lapis and Lazuli. Um, it, it's kind of like Oda in like the yes, last column. Yes. When someone's like, hey, what's the birthday of this character? I don't know. You pick. <laughs> <laughs> um, something that, I, that we learned because of that is that Jace is the second in command. He's Ginyu's number one guy, which kind of makes sense in the series because at a certain point, Jason and Ginyu are the only ones left alive. And yeah. they are they like really have each other's back in that sequence in a way that I think is cool. Like I like when villains are cool with each other. I like when bad guys treat each other well, because I think the trope of bad guys fucking each other over because they just can't wait to get their upper hand is like a little overplayed and not super interesting. And of course, Jace and Vegeta J Vegeta is said to have like history with all these guys. Like they, they he's on all their shit lists for whatever reason. Yeah. It, it may seem like Vegeta might've been like at the same level of them when it comes to like what Frieza would call upon when you needed something. Yeah. Done. Yeah. 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 But at some point so they maybe all, that's why at some point they all lapped him like intensely, which has got to, yeah. that's got to hurt if you're Vegeta. I mean, it shows that Nappa was a part of the Ginyu Force on this wiki page. I don't know. No, no, no. Is that is, that's, okay, so we, let me finish up going through the, the yeah, yeah, let me no, finish up, continue. then we'll get to that. So the last guy is Goldo. Goldo was the first one to fight. He's little tiny man, perfectly round with four eyes, two of which are on the side of his head. He's green. He looks like a alien from like a 1950s movie. Um, and his whole deal is that he sucks at fighting. He doesn't do key blasts. He doesn't punch. He doesn't kick. He has telekinesis and he can do, he can literally stop time for everyone except himself. Um, which of course is completely broken and they're only able to defeat him by, I forget exactly how, but it has to do with the fact that he is the least, it's a little bit low hanging fruit. Like they, they, they reveal that he is the least physically fit of the Ginyu force and thus like, 
Oh, so here's what it is. He, he has to hold his breath to freeze time. Yeah, that's like the thing is he always has to hold his breath, yeah. right? Yeah, so, so because he, like, literally because he doesn't work out, he, he, like, his breath capacity is bad, and he overuses his ability, and then Vegeta cuts his head off with a key blast. Um, and just in case you were developing sympathy for Goldo, I will tell you that the thing that, Seika, that uh, Super Saiyan Densetsu reveals is that he developed his telekinesis powers so he could uh, more efficiently and, su- and w- without supervision uh, sexually harass women. I mean, this is all making sense. Yeah, when you look at Goldo and you think about the kind of guy... Like, Goldo's also the most, like, <laughs> like hand-rubbing evil villain of all of them. You know, he's the guy who, like, yeah. can't wait to get the bloodshed started because he likes hurting and killing people. Whereas you get this feeling that, like, the other guys aren't in it so much as, the, like, they like to kill and hurt. They they just like to do what they do. Like, they just like fighting. Yeah. It feels like. Um, Max, are you a JoJo guy at all? Not really. I mean, I could be. I probably would be if I watched it. There's a there's a character in a part... Oh, God. I have to, like, remember which parts are which. Um, part four that's very much a version of him yeah <laughs> like he's just a short yeah just a f- short like gremlin type character right like those those characters all kind of follow into the same tropes at some point mm-hmm. yeah i mean arlong is kind of like the the blueprint for these characters Man, i fucking hated that guy one piece is so good at making you feel like when this guy gets it it's gonna be the best day of my life <laughs> Like yeah. when I see the when by the time Luffy gets to unload on a bad guy in One Piece, I am so ready to see them get just ripped apart. So back to the Ginyu Force. Yes, back to the Ginyu Force. Okay, so what you were so the fun thing about the Ginyu Force is that of course they are they're really silly out of the box. And so when Dragon Ball does its thing where where the past becomes goofy, uh they get to do even more wacky off the wall shit. So like um for example, in the first attempt at making a Dragon Ball MMO, Dragon Ball Online, Captain Ginyu appeared in the form of a giant frog. Perfect. Because he he body changes with a frog by accident in Dragon Ball Z. And so then the plot in Dragon Ball Online is that somehow the frog became very powerful. <laughs> so, so now we have giant frog Ginyu. The, the thing that you saw with Nappa in the Ginyu Force happens in Xenoverse, actually. Dragon Ball Xenoverse, which was the first of two modern Dragon Ball MMOs that were actually successful, um, and both of which deal with like time travel multiverse kind of stuff. Like basically everything in those games is a what if scenario, and this is the what if scenario of what if after Ginyu died, the rest of the Ginyu Force got resurrected, or or like the rest of the Ginyu Force gets resurrected, but Ginyu doesn't get resurrected because he's not dead; he's a frog. And so they have to find a new boss, and the new boss they settle on is Nappa for whatever reason. What what a weird choice. <laughs> they also do shit that I think is really, really fun with the Ginyu Force in those games, where one of the what-if scenarios is, actually, what if instead of Goku arriving, um, Ginyu was like, hey, this Vegeta guy, what if I just took his body? And so you have to do the whole Ginyu Force part of the Frieza saga, but G- Ginyu is Vegeta, and... Nobody is prepared for this. Yeah. Um, and sometimes when you think about it, it's like, okay, well, Vegeta couldn't do anything to Raccoon, who is half as strong as Ginyu, so, like, why would he do this? Um, but, you know, it's it's we're just having fun. It's a what-if ser- series, you know? Yeah, I think Dragon Ball is some of the best what-if scenarios, especially in, um, there was a PSP game 
that had a lot of really good what if scenarios. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but you could probably look it up and find it. There was like two. So and Captain Ginyu is one of those interesting guys because like he is strong and he is one of the strongest of the Ginyu Force. But Captain Ginyu, as I get older, uh, he's just a grifter. In my oh, mind absolutely. Now. Yeah. Oh no, he's yeah, the he's he, he's just grifting to power. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's like. I feel like Ginyu is kind of a like hustle culture guy. You know what I mean? Like he's the, yeah, exactly. He's like exactly. on his Sigma grind set. You know what I'm saying? Like he's <laughs> Frieza is Walter Wyatt while Captain Ginyu is his Saul Goodman, where he's like has the earpiece in. He's like, I'll get these appointments for you, boss. Don't worry. I'll, about get, it. I'll get these get appointments for you, boss. <laughs> Yeah, like he—he's he, just basic. He's basically Frieza's like accountant, but he's like, I, but he sometimes he has to he's fight. Fucked up accountant. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. This this is a fun character archetype, um, and I think the body change, the way of externalizing that personality type and associating it with, like, this is the kind of person who literally doesn't care about himself. Like he is he has depersonalized his own sense of self for the aim of becoming stronger. And I mean, that's fucking cool. Like, that's an interesting idea, and it's an interesting way to demonstrate that character through action. Whereas, like... Yeah, totally. Goku's whole... Like, when you think about... If you think back to the original Dragon Ball, um, like, it, Goku's whole deal is that he loves fighting, um, and a lot of his, like, abilities are based on either, like... He gets the Kamehameha not... He doesn't... He, when he receives the, the gift of learning the Kamehameha... It is not a fighting technique. Like, the, he's, he's not learning it to learn a fighting technique. He has to put out the, the fire mountain so that he can go see Ox mm-hmm. King. And the, the thing that he's originally going to use to do that doesn't work. So Roshi teaches him the Kamehameha. And then later on, the other thing he's known for is the spirit bomb, which is based on, like, community. And, like, he, he gets his energy from other people. And Dragon Ball Z is pretty good at that, I think. Yeah. It, because all of the characters have something special. Um, they have a unique thing that they do with their key in the same way that like Hunter Hunter characters have unique ways of using their Nen. It's just not as on front street as it is with Hunter Hunter because Hunter Hunter is like the ex- the anime for people who like having things having having things explained to them. Um, whereas Dragon Ball Z is the is the anime for people who like things that don't need explanations. Hunter Hunter is for the people that like math. <laughs> yeah, we gotta. Like, we I, gotta I, hey, have you ever heard of compound interest? Well, yeah, like I, I love Hunter Hunter, but uh, watching the anime, I read the manga way back and then I never watched the anime, but uh, watching the anime with friends and we got we got good. to Nens now starting to be explained. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of this. Yes. In there. <laughs> it's very homestuck. Totally like there's a whole architecture built for it that you can like fit yourself into and imagine a million BuzzFeed quizzes about what type of Nen user you are and. Yeah, because it can literally be anything, which is so funny, but but it's so specific when it becomes something. And you can see that as a very natural evolution out of what Dragon Ball is doing, where Piccolo is this yeah. very incisive, insightful guy, and so he develops a technique that pierces. It's also a thing, too, where th- these special moves are special because usually only one character can do them. Yeah, that's correct. Um, for a long time. Until, again, as we talked about earlier, Dragon Ball starts breaking its own rules and every character can do everything. Everybody can do Kamehameha. Um, everybody can do every, Super Saiyan. Every, everybody can do Destructo Discs. Like, that's really the only reason Krillin was useful for so long. I, now, I really think it is cool in Super that the thing they're doing now is not just that 
everyone's a Super Saiyan and we're all trying to find the new level of Super Saiyan, it kind of feels like everybody gets their own bespoke kind of power up. Like everybody powers up in yeah. a unique way. And I think that's much more interesting because it hones in on that individual individuality aspect of it. That that is the more interesting. Yeah, it, it definitely falls in the later arcs uh, as before, like where these developing characters are like, okay, yeah, Super Saiyan God's a thing, guys, but hey, look at me. You're never gonna get to you're never gonna get to Beerus's level just by leveling up your Super Saiyan ability over and over again and become a different hair color. You have to actually like find something within you to do this. That's where like Ultra Instinct comes in for Goku, right? And then I can't remember what Vegeta's is. It's called- Vegeta's, I think, is the. Sh- I actually just yeah, read it. About it. It's called Ultra Ego. Yeah, it's 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 what Beerus basically uses is what Vegeta's trying to yeah. uh, to uh, master now. And then of course then you Go- got Piccolo's new transformation and stuff. Exa- and then of course Gohan and Piccolo get their own thing in the new movie. Um, yeah. Each of which is like totally unique to that character based on their history. Yeah, I, I find it super. I super find it super interesting, and I find um, that's why early Dragon Ball Z is so good because yeah, like Captain Ginyu, like his whole thing is like I'm like. My whole thing is like I'm just gonna change bodies, and that's how I'm gonna get stronger. Yeah, while I don't need to get stronger. They develop the idea, yeah, and they develop the idea that Saiyans have to come to the brink of death for their body. To- it's kind of like when you work out and your muscles get sore; it's because you're ripping them apart. Well, the Saiyans literally have to rip apart their body to get stronger. Yeah, they they get stronger by getting by by losing, which is a very fun. I mean, obviously, it's a super fun. It, it creates a a very interesting dynamic, you know. And Frieza always felt like um, he was cheating away, right? Like, I, I don't know how you could actually put it, but, like, the transformations always felt like he he bought into those somehow. I don't know, like, that's always how I feel like he's the rich kid who's like, I have the new toy, that's all. Mm, or mm, I have the new mm. upgrade. Yeah, he, and, he like, um, he, he found a way to, to get around that, to step through, like, this isn't about effort. It's about, it's about thought, basically. It's about, like, what can I do that isn't working hard? Yeah, and especially with like the the last biggest reveal on the super manga that has Frieza come back, it again feels like Frieza's being like, "Oh yeah, I learned what you guys did, and I just did it better because I am rich," <laughs> which is very funny, even if it is a little annoying <laughs> that Frieza's back again as a bad guy. I I am happy now that Frieza's back as a bad guy. Well, I'm I'm I've been on a hell of an arc with Dragon Ball and the whole thing where after Goku beats somebody, they become a friend. Because at yeah. first I was like, this is getting silly, but now I love it again. Um, because I think the the dynamic that you can inspire where Freeze is just one of the that you that you can have where Freeze is just one of the guys is is fun and there's a lot of potential there. Like the the plot setup for Dragon Ball Super Broly is so funny and so perfect to me, and the way Freeze is involved in that is, I think it's it's one of the best ways his character's been used since. Z. And I like the way he's brought back recently as, um, I, I mean, one way Dragon Ball's avoiding the friend thing is just by killing all of their bad guys. Yeah. Which, that's fair. Um, but Frieza coming back being like, I'm still this, like, emperor dude, but now I'm just better than you. Like, he's the mean girl. He's like, I'm just better than you. <laughs> like, every time he shows up and Goku and Vegeta are like, ah, we have to do this again. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting that it's interesting that they've been able to, to differentiate the relationship between mm-hmm. Goku Goku Vegeta and Goku Frieza because it, it would be very easy for those two to start feeling very the same. Yeah. And there's something within Vegeta where he admits all of his faults, 
but there's something in him that still blames Fraser for making him do some of it. Yeah. Not only like destroying his planet that he grew up on, but like every time Frieza shows up and after Vegeta becomes a good guy, like an actual good guy after the Frieza saga for the most part, there's something every time he shows up in Super where it just feels like Vegeta is like, you made me the monster. Like you, you've shaped me even more into that monster. And now you're, you're just hanging around. Yeah. Now um, you're just one a, of the I guys. Mean, there's a lot of sorrow. Yeah. There's a lot of sorrow in Vegeta and Super, which is really interesting next to Goku. Who's just one big brain cell. Yeah. I think what's what is so fascinating to me about the characterization in Super is I think that there are not a lot of animes that have been running this long. Mm-hmm. There are not a lot of animes where you have the actors putting in decades worth of work on these characters. Um, and I think the interpretations, I can only speak, I, I watch dubs, I'm the dub watcher. And I think the interpretations that Sean Schemmel and Chris Sabat have settled into for their Goku and Vegeta are about as good as you can get. Yeah, totally. Like, they have found nuances, and they've just gotten to know these characters so well. And you can hear it, like, when Goku gets the chance to be really funny in Super, it's great. Um, yeah. Because there's, like, this is... <laughs> He's an adult man who's severely brain damaged. Like, he doesn't know things. He, he's basically a feral child. Uh, he's a country he bumpkin. He doesn't even know how to kiss a, a woman. He doesn't know about kissing. I am firmly of the belief that Goku does not know what sex is, has no idea. Like, all of that genetic material that was necessary to create Gohan and Goten, I don't know if Goku was involved in that. And I'm not saying there's anything fishy going on. I just think that, like, you know, they know Dr. Briefs. I, yeah. and Dr. Briefs has a cloning machine somewhere. And, and like again, Chi Chi is a very determined she woman, w- and I think Goku is, is fine with whatever. Sure, yeah, Chi Chi gets what she wants. Yeah, and Goku and Goku's happy about it, um, as long as he gets the fight. Yeah. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. And uh, I also like that they've leaned into him being a farmer in Super. <laughs> That's really funny to me that he also has to yeah, farm it's very good. as a thing. It, it's it's the. It's the same thing leaning into Bulma being very vain, but still extremely smart. Like, that's yeah. my one of my favorite things. We're watching um, superheroes in theaters with friends. It's like the stuff they did with Bulma. I'm like, oh, they know exactly what they're doing now with Bulma. I haven't seen it yet, uh, um, it's, it's but I'm really very funny. much looking forward to uh, it. And uh, I think, though, as you talked about voice acting, though, it's like Chris about like has one of the most iconic dub voices of all time. Oh, everybody knows him. He's you been in everything. Hear, if you've yeah, watched anime, you've heard his voice. You hear him in the anime. Yeah, you hear him in any anime, you're like, oh, that's Chris Sabat. But he has gotten so good at voice acting from Dragon Ball and playing multiple characters in Dragon Ball that, like, yeah, he's All Might, but he's All Might when he's playing All Might. You don't hear him playing Vegeta when he's playing All Might. Because there's a lot of uh, early dub people when you were there and everything, you're like, oh, they just sound like they're the same person and everything. Um, but he can find those nuances in any characters. And I think that helped that he played Piccolo and Vegeta in Dragon yeah, Ball. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. so different. Well, that goes to show, I think there is, when it comes to voice acting, one of the big misconceptions is that you have to be able to do a lot of different voices, like a lot of different, you have to be able to do this guy and this guy and this guy. Like, you know, when it's, yeah. when it's really like, how good of an actor are you? You know what I mean? Like how, how good are you at differentiating between people, between individual characters? Yeah. And Sabbath's got it. And like, he's been doing dubbing for so fucking long, like He's, he's a great director. He's now, been, yeah, and he's a director now. Like the guy has been in this career for longer than I've been like out of college. Like yeah. his his career has lasted longer than I have known voice acting was a career. Um and 
like I also want to give a huge shout out. One of my favorite voice actors of all time is the guy that played Vegeta before him, Brian Drummond, mm-hmm. who got to appear in Dragon Ball Super. Were you aware of this? Who did he play in Super? He played a clone of Vegeta that showed up on like an alien planet or something like that, like a goo oh, yeah, Vegeta. This is good stuff. Then. Um, which is great. I mean, what a fun reference to to yeah. past work. Like a, a fun way to like fold that interpretation back in. And he, it's just like an all time great villain voice, I think, because it's another one of those guys who sounds like this. Um, and if you didn't know, same guy who plays. Um, uh, Zex Marquis in Gundam Wing. And Sigma plays uh, Ryuk in Death Note, which is a super icon. Shut up, really? Yeah, he's Ryuk oh, in, in, uh, in uh, Death Note. Um, I, I think what's also fascinating, too, about just like one last thought about Dub, and then we can kind of wrap up on thoughts about uh, the Ginyu Force. But, um, gosh, what is his name? The guy that plays Krillin. What? Oh, what's his, um, the voice. In the American dub, his name is Sonny Strait. Yeah, Sonny Strait. Like, he, he's, again, in everything. But you just wouldn't know because he also is one of those guys that finds um, finds his voice. I went to one of the local anime cons here, had the entire dub, well, most of the entire dub cast for My Hero, the one time Sick. I went. And that was the that was the one panel I went to. <laughs> um, and they were talking about how all the shows they worked on together because that's the, like the one kind of bummer thing about anime dubbing for the longest time is one small pool for the most part. Uh, but now it's really starting to expand. I just now we want them to get paid better. Yeah, so that's a whole other can of worms. But it was interesting to listen to them talk about all the shows they worked on together. And then as voice actors like to do on panels, they just do the voices (laughs) of the shows. Yeah, it's fun. And you're listening to both him and uh, uh, Chris Abat just play off each other. Like, oh, yeah, you guys are just in everything together. Um, uh, One thing I want to bring up is is that I'm I'm in some communities for voice actors. And the what we've been talking about, how like these are actors who are able to to play they're they're tremendously skilled actors who are able to inhabit lots of different characters there is a voice actor who i'm sure you know and if you're listening to this i'm sure you must know this man who has hundreds of roles on imdb but he doesn't do that thing that that many young starting voice actors think they need to do where every voice is like a totally different tone and timbre and his name is steve bloom Steve Bloom, the most iconic one of the, the most iconic voices generation. in voice acting. And he doesn't do that. He is just a really yeah. great actor who has the chops to take a voice that basically is very similar in tone and make a new person f- using yeah. the u- using the tools of an actor rather than just doing a different style of cartoon voice. And uh my I think I want to make sure I have the right anime cuz I it's one of those things where, like, you think this person plays them, and you learn, like, oh, yeah, no, they don't actually play them. My favorite Steve Bloom anime, though, let me make, just double-check that I'm right, because you never know, is, come on, load up. Gotta love looking on stuff while you're recording. Yeah, Steve Bloom is, my my favorite anime of his is Big O, because the Big O combines three of my favorite things. Batman, anime, and mechs. <laughs> like, those are, like, <laughs> the... The, the, the best things in the big O is like one of the most iconic things that I didn't watch while it aired, but I always saw the commercials. I was like, well, I, I want to watch that. Why is it not airing right now? And I just always missed it. And then going back to it now as an adult, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is everything I wanted and more. Yeah. I haven't seen that in a very long time. I remember, I didn't remember much about it. So eventually once it comes round the bend on after school anime club, I think I'm gonna have a lot of fun. 
yeah, Big O is Big O is a lot of fun. I uh, I finally bought the Blu-ray and I'm gonna dive back <laughs> into it because I've never seen season two because that was Toonami produced, um, and they just never put it on streaming because those rights are so kind of funky. Fascinating. Um, so any other last thoughts on the Ginyu Force, uh, Max? Before we wrap up, fucking if you if you have only seen the Funimation recut and also the Ocean Group, and you have not seen Kai, you absolutely need to look up the video that I sent to Jesse before we recorded. Let me see. Let me grab the... the I'll make sure there's the video okay. is in the show it, notes for the episode. The video is called Dragon Ball Z Kai, The Ginyu Force Arrives. Um, you just, you have to watch it. Um, <laughs> you, it's something special you if you've never seen the Kai dub. You won't believe what you're seeing and it will be good. But that's it. That's all I really else I have to say. I, except that here's a free thing that you can do if you are playing a game of interstitial our hearts intertwined a tabletop role-playing game or any other game that allows you to you know transport characters from existing ip and do what you will with them it's always fun to take a guy and make him captain guinea and you can think of an explanation for that later you can come up with a reason for that at your own you know on your own time but uh it's just fun to throw him in there captain guinea's always around you don't know where he's at but he's always you don't around. need a justification for it either because dragon ball z says that's the lesson i learned from dragon ball z you can just do stuff in your plot you don't you can come up with the justification later or the justification can just be my editor made me do this and your fans yeah. will still love it yeah I, like it's like there's a whole series of dragon ball that all, every fan has now written off but that still exists and is canon yep. to somebody somebody loves somebody it. somebody people love that people love gt um and yeah. people worked very hard to bring gt into existence um and as much as i don't really care for gt it looks good in a lot of ways uh you get the slice of life stuff is very great where vegeta is a dad vegeta is a boring dad um and is utter he's the only anime with vegeta with a mustache the him being utterly devastated when his daughter tells him his mustache looks i forget the exact words but she tells him it looks like dorky or something and yeah it's worse for him than when he learns that Goku has gone Super Saiyan. Like, it's a bigger... The, the scales fall from his eyes. He can't deal with it. Also, listening to Chris Sabat say mustache in the Vegeta voice is great. He really puts some English on it. The the, the best thing you can do with the Vegeta is try to demasculate him. Oh, yeah. Trying to, to be a good person. Uh, Vegeta's I, one I of think my, about that first... Uh, yeah. One of my favorite character types is the guy who wins when he's losing, and that's Vegeta to me. Yeah, I mean, like the the first super movie where he has to sing to distract Beerus. God in heaven, uh, and it's, it's, so, it's good. so good. Yeah, I love watching uh, the behind the scenes. I, I, if you haven't seen, it, I'll send this to you. But there's a behind the scenes where you watch Chris Sabat having to do that and be like, "Was that good? Was that good enough?" Because <laughs> he, also he doesn't like doing oh, it. Oh man, uh, it's very fun. Um, Max, where can people find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter at Max Newland underscore. It's Max Newland with an underscore M-A-X-N-E-W-L-A-N-D. I have a podcast called the After School Anime Club, and that's coming back on October 24th, 2022. We're going to be looking at uh, Trigun opening that season. Um, we're a show that is half game show, half anime rewatch, and it's all focused on anime that debuted in the united states between let's say 97 and 2012 maybe i don't know the 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 it's it's fungible it's the 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 late 90s and early 2000s 
Uh, I'm very excited for season two, knowing the lineup. Uh, I think Escaflone is the one I'm most looking forward to checking out. Yeah, man. Escaflone is a fever dream to me. I watched like an episode of it when I was a very small child, and I do not remember any of it, except that it is like weird and interesting. After school anime is one of those things where like I hope every season there's one anime I've never seen, so it's new. This the first season was Outlaw Star. Genuinely same. Like that is one of the big things for me is that like I was very tuned into Toonami. Um Mm -hmm. and there is kind of a black hole to me. I stopped I kind of stopped watching anime altogether around like two thousand six, two thousand seven. Um like the two most recent anime series I have seen and like watched a lot of are My Hero Academia, and then before that, Tengen Tapa Gurren Lagann, which is like okay, okay, fucking fourteen years ago at this point. Um, yeah, I, I stopped like around that time too, and then I got back into it when um, Attack on Titan got huge for a minute. I watched that kind of when it was airing, and then I dropped off again. And then my friends like, you know, there's an anime about superheroes now, yeah, right? Like a straight up know, superhero man. one. I feel like my and then. I, it, yeah, it's it's super interesting where a lot of these shows are just going. And I like that the bigger anime now have more commentary going on. Yeah. I also think that that producing anime in a in a smaller format is good generally. Like so much smarter. I yeah, like that so much smarter. The show has an ending. Or it will as, it will as have much an as ending. I want so. One Piece. As much as I love One Piece, like I wish it was seasonal so I could like I'm gonna watch the season of One Piece and I could take a break. How can you get someone into One Piece? You know what I mean? Like if you yes. are not watching yeah. One Piece in 2022, where's your inroad? What are you going to do? I feel bad. But I always tell people just watch the first 60 episodes, and if you're not hooked, then you're not. but that's 60 <laughs> just, episodes. Just still. Watch the first that's 60 still, episodes. I think you have to finish Arlong Park because that's where you get the the hook. I mean. I don't think like Arlong Park was really good, but it didn't. I didn't think this show is really, really special until I was nearly done with Skypea, personally. Yeah, which funny is Skypea is like the hardest arc to get, for a lot of people to get to you, because really? a lot of people just don't. They they jump off it. Huh. Well, I guess it's kind of um, slow burn, but like, you know, once you understand the stakes, it's, it's like I, holy fuck. Yeah, it's the first one I think too where everybody is just getting whipped the entire time. It's that it Namek like Saga energy. Upper hand. I love yeah. when, man, the most fun thing to me is when everything fucking sucks. The heroes are getting their asses kicked. Um, you know, like, I love when that pressure cooker just gets turned on. And uh, it, it also, like, feels like Skypea at the end. And I like this. I like this a lot. It's just Luffy luck is how he wins. Yeah. Which is, like, sometimes that's really what that's matters. And Skypea is a lot of fun for that. Yeah. I, I did the stupid thing and I watched all of Naruto and caught up on One Piece from zero in one year because it was pandemic. What I, I gave year? myself permission to stop caring about Naruto um, and Bleach as I, well. I had to finish it. And what's funny is like there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in Naruto. It's just there's so much. Again, it's the issue with not doing seasons, right? Like the filler just destroys any kind of interesting thing that's going on in that show. How mind-blowing is it that anime... Um, an animated medium that requires hundreds upon hundreds of hours of work is faster to produce than manga, which is a series of still images and text, usually composed studio, by one man. person. It's that studio grind. You, when you're making manga, you're one guy and maybe like three assistants. Yeah. And when you're making anime, you're 30 underpaid studio yeah, people. It's crazy to me. When I learned uh, that, the, yeah. that that disparity is because as a kid, I imagined, well, manga, surely is faster because you fucking have to have a huge team of people to make an anime. 
Um, but no, it is the opposite. And that's why you get things like Goku and Piccolo learning to drive, which I will defend. Everybody, I think, I think everybody Should've is been in, in agreement the Kai cut. that when yeah. Dragon Ball does slice of life stuff, it's just as good, if not better than the fighting. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think more uh, Shonen needs to have like just a slice of life episode in between arcs. When Vegeta takes his family to the theme park, that's a moray. Yeah, was did it? Okay, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to do my wrap up, but I'm still kind of curious. Was there ever a baseball episode? Because I always remember I always saw images of Goku and Vegeta um, and all them dressed up as baseball, but I don't remember a baseball. Episode. Yamcha was a professional baseball player between yes, I do that part. Dragon Ball and when he shows and up he again. I thought that Z. was so cool for Bulma. Uh, yeah, man, poor guy. Um, you'd think the, you'd think a man who does like key blasts would be a better baseball player. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that is the extent of baseball's involvement in Dragon Ball, as far as I know. Um, you can find this show everywhere on Twitter at YComicsPod. You can find me everywhere on Twitter at Sleeper of the Bed. You can find my other show where I talk about movies with my friend Matthew at Freewheeling It. Um, theme for the show is done by David Zetsi, and the logo for the show is done by Andy Manley, who you can see on The Simpsons. He helps out doing art for that show. Um, oh, previous, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, and Andy's a really cool guy. Previous logo is done by Sugar Crash, I think is what they're going by now, but used to be Cavity Crew. And remember, everybody, even Captain America, punch Nazis. Live your life like a Kamehameha. Kamehameha.